When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length, members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show. Once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio are two guests this week. But first, I have a quick note to append to the last episode that came out um, because I got, I think, more emails uh, about a particular answer than I have gotten in a while. Um, there was a letter writer who had found out recently that one of their coworkers at this nonprofit they both worked at was not making enough money to be able to pay uh, for rent and food every month, and they themselves were being paid a very low wage. And uh, the guests and I talked back and forth about all the different options that they might have had in terms of talking to other coworkers about how much they make, advocating for raises together, and so on and so forth. Um, and we forgot to say, you could also try to start, forgot, we were just talking off the cuff, and I was like, man, it'd be so great if somehow you could all collectively come together and advocate for your shared interests against management. If only there were a word for that. Oh, well. Too bad. Uh, there is a word for that. It's it's a union. Many, many of you wrote in to remind me that there is a word for that uh, and that it is union. Um, so that one is just 100% on me. I forgot what those were. They're a great idea. Uh, you should definitely consider uh, starting one. So thank you very much for the help. I don't think I will forget that word anytime soon. Um, and you can also stop sending me emails now. Although you don't have to. Um, all right. With me in the studio this week are two guests, uh, Hillary Eason, who works in international development in Washington, D.C. With her is Tyler Eason, who's a data engineer in the Bay Area and who owns a dog who likes riding motorcycles. They are siblings, and they also have another sibling who is arguably better at giving advice, but who was not available today. Hillary, Tyler, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Has the dog actually ridden the motorcycle recently? Like, is that something you two do together? Uh, it was probably like four or five months ago. He has uh, some sick doggles that aren't technically doggles because doggles are a name brand. So it's they just look like a ski mask on a dog. I did not know that motorcycle goggles for dogs were so common that there was a brand called Doggles. Thank you for that. You're, you're welcome. It's a little bit like the Rave Cat with the headphones. Oh, God. You know, I do occasionally get updates from that letter writer. I've seen a couple of them in the column, and I really look forward to them. That was that was a really that was a really great letter. It was a real roller coaster. So. Um, but this is so exciting. I don't think I've ever had siblings on the show before. I've had one of my siblings on the show, but I have never had two siblings in the studio at once. And I'm very excited. Um, and I'm kind of curious to know how the two of you fought when you were growing up. Oh! Uh- 
I'll let you start. <laughs> well, uh, we were, um, so I'm seven years older. Uh, our sibling is five years younger than me. And then Tyler is seven years younger. And so I think there was a lot of, you know, I babysat them a lot. Um, and I think for me, sometimes it would be hard to blur the line between cool older sister and mom. And so I would just feel like you should be doing this. And my mother would be like, I think you can let that go. And he'd be like, no, you have to do it. But on the other hand, I definitely introduced him to a lot of uh, cool media and clothes and um, things that a cool older sister should do. And so I feel like I get some credit for that that takes away a little bit from the times that I yelled at him from, I don't know, not doing something the way I thought it should be done. Tyler, do you want to give her credit for that? She gets credit <laughs> for a lot of things, but she sometimes likes to cre- take credit for things that I discovered on my own and she also likes and she thinks she told me about. <laughs> Um, sounds about right. As a as a middle sibling, I can. She's definitely... like, yeah, I told you like that. I told you told told you about that in like the summer of 1995. Just kidding. I was three. It would have been like 2000. Yeah. But it happened. Like those are like the pettiest of arguments, and I'm just like, yeah, you did tell me about that. And in my mind, I'm like, she's wrong. But overall, I think we do, as adults in particular, we do get along quite well, which yeah. is nice. I'm happy to hear that, and I also hope that this can maybe reestablish some sibling fault lines. Oh, um, boy. As we disagree throughout <laughs> these various letters. So uh, I'm going to get started with maybe my favorite letter I have gotten in a long time. I really enjoyed this, and I especially enjoyed the kicker. Um, the subject line is simply, can spies find love? Dear Prudence, would you take a job if you could never talk about it? I've been offered my dream job. The problem is I won't be able to tell anyone where I work, what I do, or how I help people. Last year, I got out of a long relationship after my fiancé and I finally realized we wanted different things in life, and I've only just started to date again. Dating is hard enough as it is. How can I be honest with my dates if I take this job? Although I'm genuinely shy, I apparently come across as totally intimidating. My sister recently told me, you're kind of terrifying. I think she was trying to be nice. I doubt this new job will help with efforts to deplete my apparent aura of inapproachability. I was in the closet until my mid-twenties. Now I'm in my thirties. I believe in being honest and living authentically. Will my new job be another kind of closet? Is it possible to be a smart, independent, competent lesbian with a super-secret power career and not scare all the nice women away? (laughs) I mean, you know, if Kim Possible and Shigo can make it work. I think they can. No, I, I think I'm I'm biased. I will start because I think I'm a little biased living in D.C. because this is surprisingly common, actually. So I'm going to guess that maybe they're not um, because these concerns have arisen. But I actually know several people um, about whose jobs I know very little. Um, so I feel like. But have you ever dated them? I've lived with them. Okay. So I think that counts. Um, I feel like, um, so I would first of all say, yes, it's definitely possible. And something that they probably want to explore as if they chose to take this job is um, what are the resources and suggestions that the job has? Because surely everybody else has relationships as well. And something that I have noted from my personal experience is that a lot of times deflection is going to be your best friend. I'm not saying that that's something that you want to maintain throughout all of your relationships. But in my experience with people who have jobs that um, they would prefer not to talk about, uh, you develop a sort of skill set of just making sure that nobody ever asks. And so I think that it is certainly possible in terms of whether or not it's something that would be hard to deal with, given the sort of other issues that they mentioned in the letter. I think that's sort of a separate question. So. Yeah, yeah, because the idea is like I already have a little trouble letting people in or people feel like they can't be let in. And I'm worried that this will contribute to that. And I think that is a reasonable fear. I also I, I genuinely don't know if the spy thing was like a throwaway line. I can't think of a lot of jobs outside of intelligence that genuinely require 
um, that much secrecy aside, outside of maybe maybe working at like a, a women's shelter that was helping people get away from abusive relationships. But like if it is an intelligence job that you're considering taking, bear in mind that sometimes part of the reason why they ask you not to talk about your job is because they want to ask you to do things that many people would find unconscionable. Um and that that may be another reason to consider not taking this job. Although without more details, I can't uh, I can't speculate too much. But yeah, they I, didn't tell us either. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, good start. You, you started off well. You didn't tell us what the job is. So my take is, I guess, a little from a different approach. Um, the letter writer describes it as her dream job, and if you have an offer on your dream job, and uh, the writer also describes it as helping people in a certain way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound um, particularly nefarious, at least from our perspective. So uh, I'm a bird in the hand kind of guy. And especially since it's like accepting this kind of offer doesn't preclude a successful relationship later. Um, in my experience, I often regret things that I elected not to do instead of elected to try and failing. Mm-hmm. So I, this is something I would definitely go for the job. And then work it out as you as you see, because it's the job is not no job is permanent. Right. And then the other, I guess, concern is like, how do I not be so intimidating? Um, I think people know that these jobs exist and you can just say, oh, I work for government, but I can't really talk about it. Or uh, if you like, you know, whip up a handful of jokes that you can say in response to this kind of question, people probably won't ask more than a couple of times. Yeah. And and I do like the idea of try it and see if it works. It may very well be that you love the dream job, but that you yourself find that being in a serious relationship, like it's one thing if it's somebody you're seeing kind of casually, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like I can't really imagine. I mean, A of all, I'm not great at keeping secrets. So I would not do well with a job where I couldn't tell anyone where I work. After like six weeks, I'd be like, guess where I work? You can't tell anyone. Um so that would just be like out for me from jump. Um, but there's a difference between like, yeah, we've been seeing each other for a couple of months and there's lots of other stuff to talk about versus like we see a future together and I never talk about what I do all day. Maybe for some people that's great. I, I, it would make me feel like I was dying inside mm-hmm. and I would not be able to keep it up. Um, so, you know, certainly give it a shot. And if you find that it does negatively affect your relationships, then you have some useful information and you can look for a different job. But I don't think... You know, if the fear is like, I already have to like work to seem approachable. And then if I can't talk about my job, no women will want to be with me. I think there's kind of two things you can do with that. One of them is look for women who like intimidating women. Mm -hmm. They definitely exist. Just like I'm thinking about everyone I follow on Twitter who like loses it when Sarah Paulson like tweets about um, her relationship. They love like power lesbians. Um, So those women definitely exist. Look for them. Look for women who love the fact that you're a little intimidating. Um, And, you know, then just also talk about that openly. Just kind of like mention, you know, sometimes um, I've been told that I seem unapproachable. That's not my intention. I don't want to be unapproachable. I want you to be able to talk to me or ask me questions about stuff that's not work. Um, And, you know. Best of luck. This is kind of amazing. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of nervous for you, but I'm also really hoping for a Kim Possible and I was going to say, I really hope that this is an, an indication that superheroes are real. Like, I would love that. Yeah. That's my dream. Yeah. yeah. And that they are lesbians. That would be Yeah. Fantastic. No, even better. Yes. All right. So this next letter is way tougher than the first one. And I'm so sorry, Hillary. It's your turn to read this letter. But this one is really, really intense. That's all right. Um, yeah, yes, it is. Uh, subject, we lost three. Dear Prudence, around six months ago, my sister and her husband died in a terrible accident. A few days before that, she told me she was pregnant. 
She was planning to tell her parents and her in-laws at a dinner planned the day after the accident. As far as I know, I am the only one they told about the pregnancy. It's getting around the time she would have given birth, and I feel like I'm falling apart. I didn't tell their parents about her pregnancy because I couldn't bring myself to make this work worse. Sorry, My brother-in-law was an only child, and I likely can't have children, which my parents don't know. The sight of pregnant women and babies makes me want to cry. The other day, my mother said something about grandchildren, and I had to run out of the room to go vomit. I don't know what to do. I don't want to tell them and double their grief, but the secret is eating me up. Would it be terribly selfish and cruel to tell? How would I even do that? It might make me feel slightly better to not be alone with this, but I know it will make them all feel so much worse. Yeah. Yeah, this is just a brutal situation. Yeah. Um, I, I think something that happened only six months ago and is still like this intense with the entirety of the family, like um, if you have not already seen a grief counselor, uh, I think this is the sort of situation that grief counseling was designed for. Yeah. Because you're Definitely. facing this huge question um, and you should not have to contemplate what choices you make alone. Yeah. Um, but so with that kind of caveat of like give yourself time, see a grief counselor, talk about this with somebody who you know can be totally confidential. Um, what would you guys say? Like what would you want to weigh if you were in this situation? What would feel like something you would want to consider? What would be something you wouldn't want to consider? Um, This is something – on a much smaller scale that has actually come across both of us before. And it's that um, sometimes people around us, I guess, worry about how grief affects us too much. So we've both received delayed news on the passing of like close relatives. Mm. And I would greatly prefer if people not try and control how my grief, when and how my grief occurs. Mm. I think it's, it's harder. You don't want the people you care about to to feel this pain, but um, I think it's better to let them handle the, um, the grief at their own pace. And it's holding it in is one harder for you, and you're denying them like this knowledge that you think is actually valuable to them, even though it's painful. Which is not to say that you should necessarily show up and go, guess what? Yeah, <laughs> I have really terrible news for you. But I, I do think that Tyler is right um, when it comes to not making those decisions for other people. You obviously have some knowledge about your family and, you know, how they might handle things. And that's certainly important to keep in, you know, to take into account. But I think that genuinely for the healing process, if this is something that you feel like they will be able to handle in some way, um, A, that's not really for you to sort of decide um, that they can or can't handle something. Um, and B, I think it's it could be really helpful for the healing process ultimately. You may not be ready for that. They may not be ready for that. And again, if you're not seeing a qualified grief counselor, I think that's something that you really want to talk over with them. That's definitely number one. Yeah, that is definitely number one. But, um, but yeah, I think that um, people can often handle a lot more than we give them credit for. And it's something that if there's – if you don't have like a really, really solid reason to hold it back, then I think that it is something that eventually you might want to share. But again, that's going to be your decision. So, but those are the things that I would weigh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, the question of, it seems sort of connected to my mother also doesn't know that I can't have children yeah. and yes. was bringing up the, the possibility of grandchildren to me. And so I feel like that's kind of the key right now of what feels the heaviest. And, and the question there is like, can I, 
like, do I have to share either that I think I can't have biological children or that my sister was pregnant at the time of her death in order to tell my mother, like, I know we're all going through a lot right now, but I really cannot handle talking about grandchildren. Um, And so I do think, for whatever it's worth, you can absolutely have that conversation separately from anything else. Like, um, you, you can just tell your mom, like, Part of what's really hard for me right now um, is thinking about the future or talking Mm -hmm. about the possibility of grandchildren. Um, I totally understand that you're going through so much right now, too. I just cannot have that conversation right now. And it would mean so much to me if we could just leave that one to the side. Um, And then to kind of think through, especially in grief counseling, like what would be your – what would be your desire? I, I I can really see like both telling and not telling. Yeah. Because um, on the one hand, it's like there's nothing anybody could do about it. It's all information that would just probably cause additional pain. Your parents might also potentially want to grieve that by talking about grandchildren a lot more. And mm-hmm. that might be hard for you. Um, that's not necessarily a reason not to do it. It's just worth thinking about in advance. Um but the secret eating you up is part of what makes me feel like you you deserve and need to see a grief counselor as soon as you possibly can. Um, because it'll feel like if you don't have anyone to talk about this with and your only options is to share it with your parents when you're all in the immediate aftermath of grief, that's going to feel like a huge proposition. But you can at least talk to somebody whose job it is to listen and, and, and who will not take it on as like a, a personal trauma because it's not their family. Yeah. No, I would I would absolutely second the fact that you can't that just because this is a question you're grappling with doesn't mean that you can't sort of set some temporary boundaries. You know, that might be difficult. Uh, It might not be something that people immediately want to hear, but that might be the sort of best option in the interim is I think it's completely okay to say, you know, I'm not comfortable talking about this without saying and I have all these other details to share. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where, like, whether you tell them or whether you don't, whether you tell them now or or later, um, it's not the question of like, would it be selfish and cruel to tell them? No, it's it's a horrible situation, but you didn't create it. Um, you wouldn't tell you wouldn't be telling them because you wanted to hurt them. You'd be sharing painful reality because you feel alone and like you're being eaten up from the inside out. So nothing about that is cruel. Nothing about that is selfish. Um, it, it's just the like awful reality that you're living in right now. Um, and especially like this particular season, thinking like this is around the time that they would have become new parents. And instead, we're celebrating the loss not only of their lives, but of the potential family that they would have created. I think it's also worth noting that um, your sister was planning on telling your parents this information. For ex- So if this unfortunate accident had happened just days later, your parents would also, would be undergoing this, the same pain that you were, but not – they would be sharing it with you and it wouldn't be alone. Yeah. So this is – some knowledge that your parents could have had if this if the circumstances were slightly different and i can't i obviously can't speak for for the deceased but it you should consider knowing your sister if she would want your parents to know mm. yeah yeah that's a really good point and i think too when the question is like how would i go about telling them again i think that would be really helpful to run past the grief counselor but to think about what you want to communicate which is that um i've known something I haven't been able to share it with you because I've been going through so much grief myself. But um, it's been remaining in my mind. I know that she wanted to share this with you. It may add to your grief, and that's really been weighing on me. But I also feel like she wanted you to know. And so that's been what has inclined me to tell you. And that will um, 
at least make it clear where you're coming from. Um, and again, that doesn't mean that it's going to be a good or an easy conversation. But if you do decide to have it, um, that will be, I think, helpful context to give them. And just just for right now, all you have to do is get through today. Like this is not something you need to do tomorrow or next week. Um, you know, just focus on whatever you need to get you to the end of the day. Because um, this is huge. This is absolutely huge. And it's only been six months. And, you know, please, you know, if, if you do or don't, just write back. Let us know how you're doing. Um, let us know if seeing a grief counselor has been helpful. We'd love to know how you're doing. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. All right, let's um, move on to the next letter. Oh, Lord. Okay. Um, Subject, free, which I think we will see has a lot of meanings in this letter. Dear Prudence, my wife rents out her suburban sprawl while we live in my city-side condo. We squirrel every cent into our retirement funds. My stepdaughter is the failure, failed out of high school, failed to finish college, failed to find a job, etc. Nothing is ever her fault, and at 24, she expects everyone to celebrate her unplanned pregnancy. Nothing, none of her siblings act like this. We have spent more money on her than both her brothers combined. She wants to move with her lover into her ha- into the house my wife rents out, free, of course. It is her childhood home, after all. This is the breaking point for me. Once the baby comes, it will be the bludgeon used against us until the next one comes. My stepdaughter doesn't feel the need to work, and her lover has only a part-time job. I am not ready to spend our golden years paying for my stepdaughter reproducing on our dime. We have paid off cars and college educations. This is more than either my wife or I got. My wife cries, feeling the guilt about, quote, abandoning her first grandchild. I tell her her daughter needs to act like an adult for once. Counseling has been useless on this issue. What do I do? I am not surprised that counseling has been useless on this issue. This letter writer does not sound like, um, I'm going to go ahead and assume that this is a gentleman married to a lady. Um, uh, It does not sound like he has been willing to spend a lot of time rethinking any of his positions for even a second. No. Nope. I, the... I mean, the language is just not the, good. The, yeah. the judgment really does sort of drip from this, which is not to say that there might not be legitimate issues here. Certainly. But I mean, I think if it is if even an ounce of the resentment that is coming out of this letter um, is evident to any of the other people in the situation, then that might contribute to a less than productive dynamic. Yeah, I, I certainly think, you know, not wanting to give her a a, a rent free um place to live is a, is a reasonable conversation to want to have with your wife but like that line about like she expects everyone to celebrate her unplanned pregnancy yeah man you like, should still be excited about your grandchild i i don't know what to tell you like also babies are not bludgeons she, like that's a horrific image she, like she has chosen to carry this pregnancy to term yes. so she's obviously excited to become a parent and it's not the 1840s and she's in a, you know, she's young-ish, but she's 24. She's an adult. Like, yeah, you should be celebrating her pregnancy. Even if you have some concerns about how she's going to raise the kid, even if you want to draw some reasonable boundaries about how much you're willing to help out financially, you should absolutely say, I'm really excited because she's having a damn baby. And that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like the, um, you know, there are, this may be something where, 
you could eventually set up some sort of, you know, boundaries or conditions like you're saying. Like it could absolutely be that maybe you and your wife could set up something where you agree to only limited support, assuming that that doesn't put the baby. Like I, I mm-hmm. also I want to point out that the baby shouldn't go out on the street, right? Like we want to make sure that the baby. Yeah, it, it doesn't sound like that's a, a that, that, that's about a real to happen. Concern. Yeah. yeah, and again, totally understandable given how much money you've spent on the the kids, especially this kid, and the degree to which your wife is like unable to even contemplate the idea of a boundary before just panicking that like her baby's going to be homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly, I, I I can understand why you do feel like you need to be the bad guy because your wife is just like, let's continue to treat her like she's fourteen forever. But you got to be able to dial back some of mm-hmm. this, like, intense wave of judgment. Um, otherwise, no just... one's going to listen to you if, you, yeah. if, if like, they think you're judging them constantly. Like, some of this language is really rough. Baby bludgeon, um, referring to your daughter's significant other as lover, as if it's Twice. not a signi- not like a serious relationship. Right. That's, that's like, that's really rough. Like, what? Just be yes, obviously they had sex because the baby's coming, but they probably do more than physical loving. There's probably emotional connection there because they want to live together, right? Yeah. Um, There's a way to set a boundary without saying like you're the failure. I won't celebrate your unplanned pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Your lover's a deadbeat. Yeah. Um, right. There's a way to say like to your wife, we need to have a conversation that is like careful and thoughtful and um, is not just like signing up for indefinite free housing when you and I are both working really hard to save up for retirement. I understand that like we both love our daughter. I hope you love your daughter um, and that this is hard for you, but I really want to have like a conversation about this where we can agree on something. Yeah. Um, Also, like you say, your wife rents out her suburban sprawl. So like ultimately... If your if your wife owns that place in her own name outright and she decides that she's willing to do this um, for her daughter, she can do it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like it, it's not your house. It's yeah. worth noting, though, though, that they do live in his city side condo. So like, if she is not paying rent on his while living there, but making money on the side and like that. Makes things a bit fuzzy. Of course. No, yeah. I I think mostly the way to look at this is that they both get to make decisions, mm-hmm. but it should not be about like trying – like I think in some ways he is trying to – if he were to do that, he'd be using his money as a mm-hmm. bludgeon, which is to say like, yeah, exactly. you know, this is your stepdaughter. This is not your daughter. Um, I don't know how long you've been with your wife um, or if you had a hand in like raising her, this stepdaughter or if you kind of showed up like towards the end of college, beginning of high school, and you just mm-hmm. basically got to be like a distantly disapproving adult man <laughs> at her. Um, but I, I, I do think you got to take a bit of a step back here. Like you can advocate for your own position. You can certainly say why you don't think this is going to help your stepdaughter become more independent in the long run. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly say like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, like, include any of my own money in this. Um, but it, ultimately, if your wife decides that she is willing to rent out her own home, even if it's for free to her daughter, um, that's her that's her choice. And and if you don't want to, uh, you know, paying for your stepdaughter to reproduce on your dime is just really gross. Like, yeah. she's not reproducing on your dime. Like, she just, like, found a fun loophole 
and like is using her own body as like a baby factory in order to inconvenience you. Like she's an adult who makes choices that maybe you often don't like and frankly may even act entitled about your money in a way that you decide you want to set boundaries with, which is all fine. But language like reproducing on my dime is just really gross. It really is, especially when you consider like I would also leave the siblings out if at all possible, just because that might help some of the dynamics. But it's especially. Yeah. Sorry. That's. Yep. Yeah. So certainly like your wife is not abandoning her grandchild by not giving her daughter a free house. Um, But also ultimately, if your wife wants to make that decision, um, you need to find a way to set your own appropriate boundaries that don't get into your daughter's a failure. And she's using my money to have babies because she hates me. And, you know, you're weak and your daughter's a failure. Like that just needs to be a no go. Yeah. Um, And good luck. Yes. I don't I don't see this marriage going great. Um, but maybe it will. But there's a baby coming, so that's cool. Babies fix everything, yeah. as we know. Yeah. All right, Tyler, I think this one's you. All right. Subject. What do I owe her? Dear Prudence, my husband was having an affair when he died. I didn't know exactly, but I had a strong suspicion it was a married mutual friend. That's in quotes. Her grief was out of bounds for a woman who had barely, barely knew us for a year. She broke and sobbed so loudly at the funeral... Uh, everyone could hear them in the next room. I was completely numb and settled my affairs as fast as possible so I could leave. I later learned that this woman gave birth to a girl. I always wondered. 20 years later, I was contacted by this girl and learned it was so. A blood test exposed her mother's lies, and now the girl is demanding to know if I had anything of her father. She was upset and brusque when I spoke with her on the phone. I still have extensive holdings from my first marriage. My husband had a taste for fine art as well as dabbled in it himself. Most of his personal items have since been scattered to the four winds. I only kept a few photographs of both of us in happier times. I don't know if this girl's biologically my husband's. He had no living family, and she looks exactly like her mother, who I looked up on Facebook. I know I am not having a rational reaction to her. She is a child trying to put her past back into place, but her demands make me want to drop my honeymoon photos in kerosene and light a match. The photographs and paintings remind me of being happy, being hopeful, and before our son was born. He died a few days after birth due to a heart defect. What do I owe this girl? Woo! I'm so line. sorry. This is just really, really traumatizing. And I, I, I think I'm a, I'm a little confused because it says that a blood test has led this girl to believe that your husband was her father. Um, but then you later say, I don't know if this girl is biologically my husband's. So either she had a paternity pe- test that simply proved the man she thought was her father was not her biological father. And her mom has said, I think it was this other person. Or she has a paternity test that does prove that your husband was her biological father. And that's just really hard for you to process. I don't know which one it is. Either way, um, you don't owe her anything other than a polite explanation that you will not be available for any further conversation. And then to set her emails to auto-delete, block her number, um, simply hold firm to that boundary. I definitely agree. Um, Like, even if your um, late husband was her biological father, uh, he didn't play a role in her life. So he has no, I guess, he is functionally identical to a sperm donor. Right. And however she wants to feel about that is totally her business. But like you, Mm -hmm. given that he died decades ago. Um, and you did not know at the time that he may have fathered a child. Um, you learned about this way later. There's just no information that you can give her that's going to be helpful, you know? Like, mm-hmm. and you don't, you were not a part of this. You did not choose to help create this child. All you have to say is, I am not available to talk about this. Um, 
I, I, I won't answer to any future attempts at communication. Be I will. Well. I mean, I there is something in here. There's a, so there's a, there's a lot of different things in here. So writ large, I agree with you all. But there's there is one thing that would actually make me suggest that it might be useful to talk to a lawyer if you are so inclined, because mm. you do mention that she wanted to know if you had anything of her late father and that you have extensive holdings that include fine art that were related to your first marriage. And so it sounds like there are several concerns here, not least of which, of course, is an incredibly painful time in your life. Um, But if you are concerned at all about things like material holdings, that could be something where it might not hurt to have the advice of a lawyer on hand. I wouldn't, you know, you probably don't need to go too deep into that, but... Yeah, you certainly don't need to tell her that you've consulted one, but you absolutely can. Yeah, I, I think just to say, like, uh, I'm genuinely sorry that you have, like, come to this realization late in life. Um, this reminds me of a very traumatic time in my history, um, and, and I'm not available for this conversation is totally okay. Yeah. That's not cruel. She's not your daughter. This is not something that you invited or caused um and you know if it's like putting you back in this time of like finding out that your husband who had just died had been having an affair and then fathered a child and then that you'd also had a child die around the same time like this is not your problem it's to not solve. your circus not your monkeys yeah yeah, yeah. It, this is really really rough and i just you know i i don't think that you owe her anything other than a polite this is the last time we will speak um, I, I genuinely feel sorry for her situation, but, yeah. you know, that's. Hey, Slate listeners, I'm Christina Cotarucci, the host of Slow Burn, Gaze Against Briggs. I want to tell you about a special event we're doing at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York City on June 13th. To celebrate this new season of Slow Burn and Pride Month, we're hosting an exclusive live taping of the show with special guests, including civil rights activist and Black Lives Matter organizer DeRay McKesson, comedian and singer Esther Fallick, Eric Marcus, the host of Making Gay History, and Sam Fader, director of the Netflix documentary Disclosure, about the depiction of trans people in film and television. We'll dive deeper into this season and talk about the lasting impact of the Briggs Initiative and the continued fight over LGBTQ rights in schools. It'll be the perfect way to celebrate Pride Month this June with LGBTQ stories and voices across generations. Again, that's June 13th at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash slowburn. Hope to see you there. And that's just because it's a bad situation. Yeah. All right, last one. Trying to end on a slightly later note. Subject, we've got history. Dear Prudence, we're a month into the new school year. There's a parent of a child in the class that I have a history with. We used to be wonderful friends years ago until a misunderstanding turned into friendship ruin. Fast forward about a decade, and as luck would have it, our children are in their second year of preschool in the same class. The other mom has yet to speak to me, and I'm not sure how to approach her. When our friendship ended, we were both young and hot-headed. Any suggestions for how to broker peace? or at least coexist for the benefit of our kids. I don't think I can handle a Big Little Lies-style subplot somewhere down the line. I can barely manage the cold season that's just started. As an aside, I just saw Big Little Lies for the first time a couple weeks ago, and I really, really, really enjoyed myself. I have not seen it yet. I have a nasty habit of reading the recaps of shows that I have not actually watched. So Ooh, I have... I'm so guilty. So I have, yeah. a, I, have, I, have a, I have a rough idea of how it goes, but that's, that's good to note. Um, just expensive sweaters and yelling. <sighs> Sounds great. No, this is this is, you know, this is tricky, but um fortunately it's been about a decade, so that's I think that's good. You know, it gives you a little bit of room. Um 
I want to open it up to the possibility that you might not actually have to interact with your child's parent. Like, I don't know how close the parents are, um, but I think there is a very you can if this is something that you want to address um, because you would like to address it or because you think there's a high probability that you'll be working, you know, with the other mom, then that's fine. Um, I would entertain the possibility that you might not actually have to interact with them that much if, if you're really not ready to, because, I mean, it's it's not exactly like a workplace. You may see them at, uh, you know, a holiday pageant, and that might be about it. PTA. So, yeah. P- sure. yeah, whatever. I mean, it's not much. It's it's not much. But if you want to, and I mean, I've I've... I can empathize with this. Um, I think you could you could certainly consider a coffee just to be like, hey, hello, you know, we're going to see each other. Um, you don't even have to rehash it. Just be like, I wanted to say hi. Uh, you could send a short email if that uh, if that made you feel better. But um, yeah, I don't know that it necessarily depending on I mean, this sounds like a misunderstanding. It doesn't sound like one of you murdered another spouse. And so, you know. Is that a wait? Is that a big little lies? Um, no, I'm not gonna talk about it. Uh, yeah, I don't want to <laughs> offer any spoilers. Uh, yeah, my guess is if they're mentioning Big Little Lies, part of the plot of that show was that everybody was super wealthy and super involved in their children's school. Okay, like everybody was like okay meticulously and obsessively involved in like four year olds. Got everyday it. business. So it, my huh. guess is at least that that's part of what's going on here. This is okay. the kind of thing where it's like, oh, we're in the same highly competitive preschool, and all of us have way too much money. Okay, um, in which case, you know. They will have to interact, right? No, 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 actually. In which case, I would say you get to maybe think about reevaluating some of your priorities in life <laughs> um, and decide whether or not you would like to spend your many, many resources being hyper-involved in the social lives of four-year-olds. Mm. Um, you can absolutely take a step back. Just because you may have a preschool with a lot of very, very, very wealthy children does not, in fact, mean that you have to be close personal friends with all the other kids' parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just let your kid go to preschool and then, like, you know, be polite when you run into people at pickup. And if somebody doesn't want to talk to you but is not going out of their way to make things difficult for you, accept that the two of you have an icy detente. And that is it. That is the extent of the the, the reason that I would not. It, like if the other person is giving you nothing, if there's not even like tentative eye contact or the occasional tight smile, mm-hmm. I think leading with do you want to get coffee um, That's it, fair. is a little bit of a you got to read the room. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like so certainly, you know. Don't invade her space, but, like, if you have the opportunity to offer that gentle smile or some brief, friendly eye contact, do it. Just just so she knows, at least, that, like, there's not enmity on your side. If her response to that is a little bit of increased warmth, great. Maybe you could talk about coffee and saying, like, hey, I just, you know, we don't have to revisit the past. I just want you to know, like, I'm glad to see you're doing well. Your kid seems great. I hope that we can stay civil. Um and if they don't, and if they just give you the same iciness as before, I think you have your answer and you can just accept, I'm not going to be best friends with this person. Yeah, I think this one, I agree with both of you. This is like fairly straightforward. You can, it. Do, I feel like it doesn't have to be a problem if you don't make it a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, take Hillary's approach. If you minimize, if you don't talk to her, you don't minimize contact, you pick up your drop off, that it is what it is and you don't have to worry. If this is, if you want to be more involved with your child's preschool, if you want to be like a field trip chaperone, et cetera, et cetera, um, I would just treat this individual with the kindness that you would treat any other stranger while being mindful of the history that's there just for extra sensitivity. Yeah. 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 And I think basically, you know, uh, short of feeling like you two have to hash this out or there will be something like inauthentic about preschool pickup at one in the afternoon. Um, 
that would be the problem that would lead to a possible Big Little Lies style subplot. Like if you can just accept some aspects of my child's like pre-K education will be imperfect and it will remind me that in my own life I have sometimes made decisions that don't sit well with me years later or that I'm not proud of. That's okay. That's part of life. Yeah, it's hard sometimes. But, you know, recognizing that you have changed as a person is part of personal growth, yeah. even if it's difficult. And it can be hard to feel like you have changed as a person and and you, you know, would not treat someone like that now. Um, and also to know that you cannot repair a particular relationship because sometimes yeah. it can feel like if I am different now, everyone who has ever felt badly yeah. about me or did not like me needs to forgive and love me now. Yeah. And sadly, that is not how personal growth works. Sometimes people still don't like you. Um, you know, uh, our mother always says you can't make a person feel a certain way. And I think that that is really applicable here. You know, you can you can certainly act, affect how you behave. But ultimately, at the end of the day, that's going to be their decision. And all you can control is how you react to it. And I have to say, I think there might have been something to that because you two are very polite siblings to one another. <laughs> for now. <laughs> I mean, whatever. You guys kept it together for an hour and a half in the recording studio, which is pretty solid. Actually, true story. We were not allowed to say shut up growing up um, because my mother thought that it was rude and dismissive. So we're allowed to say be quiet or please be quiet. Mm-hmm. But we were not allowed to say shut up to each other. Shut and up was definitely also forbidden at least until sixth grade. Oh my yeah. gosh. I love all the fake <laughs> curse words in elementary school. Oh like they're all gosh. ridiculous and like I'm going to tattle on you and then my favorite thing is you say a bad word and like shut up and everyone goes oh. Yeah. yeah. But thank ours you. Was, simpler ours times. was oh my cuss. <laughs> <laughs> like you would just say the word cuss instead of a cuss. I was a big fan of Oh My Lanta. Oh, that's good. Solid, solid. I did not realize that like My Lanta was still advertising when you were growing up. This was you this was later uh, with people who had much more conservative households. So this is probably like late middle school. Well, we grew up in the South. So um, we I think we grew up around a, like not, this is not true. Of course, uh, I don't want to make a unilateral statement about South, but we were around a lot of people who probably made a point to not cuss. So, but thank you for the compliment with the courtesy. Um, our mother will be delighted. She herself gives very good advice and um, I think has been a really good role model for us in that respect. All right. Well, so. next time I want your mom and your other sibling on the show. Why don't we just get my dad and then it'll be like, it'll be like Thanksgiving all over again. Yeah. Fantastic. Guys, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. 
To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.